0: Welcome back, and here we go
1: for another episode of
0: FileMaker Talk.
1: Dr. Petrovsky. It's Matt Navarre, everybody. <laughs> Matt Petrovsky. <laughs> oh, the happy music starts us off every time. You know you like the applause. It's fun. That's what it sounds like. That's what both of our listeners applauding sounds like.
0: we've got more than just the uh just the two
1: your mom and my mom (laughs) correct (laughs) um yes i'm sure we do i run into people all the time that uh that listen to the podcast and it's always lovely to meet listeners that's
0: cool yeah you just got back from that conference i've just been working away in the trenches
1: yep i still have some audio to release from the conference i did several interviews there um Let's see, today we're going to be talking about the iPad Pro, which is really cool. I got mine.
0: And I have a hidden little trick that uh, I've actually been told that some of the FileMaker product managers didn't even know was possible. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: going to send you the file. I'm looking if forward
0: I, to that. I'll send that to you.
1: So, uh, iPad Pro, tell me about yeah. it. So, I, got, I had a customer that right when the iPad Pro was announced, he saw the, the light and decided he was going to be building an application for it for his company. And uh, you couldn't order one that day because this was like, what, a month and a half ago now? A couple months ago? I don't know. But anyway, um, I met with them and started building an application. Not knowing exactly what the iPad Pro specs were going to be and like how was it actually going to feel in your hands and how was it going to work and how fast was it going to be and stuff like that. So the day that it came out for pre-order, he ordered one and I ordered one. He got his uh, in advance. I got mine just yesterday. It is, it is a much bigger difference from the regular iPad to the Pro than it is from the iPad Mini to the iPad. Well, that's
0: they're at the same aspect ratio and resolution. I mean, not the same uh, pixel density, but they're both uh, 768 by 1024.
1: Yeah, they both show up to the Mac or to FileMaker as 1024, 768. Yes, and so an app, But if you can take one application that's designed for one or the other, it pretty much feels the same. And by the way, I guess programmatically there's no easy way in FileMaker to tell, to tell the difference between a Mini and an iPad, is there?
0: Uh, only by looking at the window dimensions, the window content uh, width and height.
1: No, that still shows up as um, 1024, 768 on the Mini and the iPad.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you meant the iPad Pro.
1: You know, the Pro is actually great because it does show you that... Um, it, it shows up to the Mac as 1366 by 1024.
0: Yes, it's larger.
1: So you can obviously tell the difference and you can have different layouts. And boy, you need different layouts because um, it, it's so much more screen real estate.
0: Uh, funny you say that because I had just recently finished a project for iPad Pro. I mean, it was uh, when it came out. I had a project I was working on that needed, but I didn't have the actual device. It's always nice to have the device to work with. Yeah. What saved my bacon was working on this uh, iMac 5K. You almost need an iMac 5K in order to work on designs iPad, yeah. for
1: iPad Pro because it's you sure? so yeah, big. You, you certainly need a 27-inch screen.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. Monstrous. So, what is it? the The true resolution, I think, is thirty two sixty four by twenty four forty six or something like that. Yeah, I mean, crazy high res. Oh, yeah. so
1: but photos and text look amazing. Well, so it's basically the same. Uh, it's like having a MacBook Pro thirteen inch, right? With yeah, a Retina, Retina display.
0: Yeah, hmm? it's it's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that bugs me is, I mean, obviously this is this has nothing to do with FileMaker. It's not their fault. You've got it was great. When the iPhone 4 came out, you basically designed for the iPhone 4, and when they revised the d- the aspect ratio on that by making the taller screen, everything was pretty much the same. You could design one design for iPhone and one design for iPad. Now, you've got one design potentially two designs for iPad for iPhone if you're doing the 6s plus, which is larger. Mhm. Plus the or whatever standard iPhone plus whatever standard iPad, the Mini and the Air, now the yeah. iPad Pro. So you have potentially five different device, different dimensions. But then, if you want to support both or different, you know, layouts for portrait versus landscape, now you're doing the on layout resize mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, it's
1: like well, you could just painful. use the uh, you could just use the new responsive theme that FileMaker came out with and just design one big layout and then have all the all the uh, objects be automatically resized to responsive so they work perfectly from iPhone 4 to the uh, iPad Pro. Unfortunately, I'm could, totally making that up, you but you know. Try that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I wish my for goodness. that. I really do wish for that. I just that.
0: designed for the intersection between the smallest of portrait and landscape. So if I'm doing something for an mm-hmm. iPad, It's that intersection of uh, landscape mode and portrait mode. I design and try to fit everything in that and scale out. It's only those rare conditions where if I need to show a lot of extra information on landscape, then I'll do the actual uh, layout switch where you switch to a different layout, which does work beautiful, by the way. Oh, and one thing that is cool on the iPad Pros is because they've got all of that, uh, whatever it is, the flip out now, the multitasking, where mm-hmm. you can actually bring a window out and be looking at two different windows.
1: Yeah, the, 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 actually, the iPad Air 2 has that also.
0: You um, The on layout resize trigger is what becomes really useful in that regard, because when you resize out, there's a lot of things that the FileMaker does not resample its layout down. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically just ends up being a cutoff layout. So you have to use that trigger If you want FileMaker to continue to look, you know, presentable when you actually uh, pull out from the side and do that multitasking thing.
1: Yeah, I haven't tried that yet, but I think I did that on my other iPad, but maybe not in a FileMaker thing. But, yeah, you just basically swipe in from the left, right? And it brings up, yeah. uh, Yeah, and there's a...
0: So the script trigger that you have to use is the new one. I think it was new in 14, the on layout size change, and so you're going to have script logic that will basically say, okay, on, if they resize the layout and the width of the layout now is no longer 1366, you can account for the different, because they, I think they've got like a three-quarter pullout where you pull out the first time and it will be the size of like an iPhone, and then the second time that you pull out from the side, it will actually be true split screen or a 50-50 uh, view. Of that mm. data, but regardless, you have to use the on-layout size change because FileMaker will not automatically resample the layout for you.
1: I think there's some other thing like um, if you just if you just pull out from the side, it brings up like your contacts or something like that. But I think you can configure that. But there's another thing that you need to do for configuring your iPad to work that way. I remember. Yeah, for the multitask. Yeah, and only certain applications can be multitasking. Not every one. So, like, playing video, for example, you could have, like, a little video playing in a corner on top of your layout and then move that around. But this is different. You're talking the multi-screen thing is where you can actually change, you know, the size of and have two applications running and just tap from one to the other.
0: Exactly. You're, you're, you've, you've got two different applications open on the screen at the same time. In fact, you have to, uh, when you're designing for it, since I just did, you have to account for the fact that the... Um, the screen dimensions change because the little grabber that they have in the middle, there's a little the split in between the panes mm-hmm. occupies a certain number of pixels. Oh yeah. So your actual layout has to change when you're accounting for a split view uh, design with the like iPad Pro or anything else that supports it. I have an iPad Mini three, and so I don't. Uh, I can just pull out do what you say, pull out the little side thing, but I can't Great. do the actual uh, split screen asking. of multi applications.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure even how you I did that I I did it once successfully on my iPad, but I haven't really found a need to do it um yet. But yeah, the um I don't know the Pro is is so completely different uh to the point where its applications like games um you know, Facebook whatever, they they just really don't work properly. <laughs> they look stupid on the huge screen.
0: Well, like you say, it's it's basically a a laptop retina screen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so other applications, Slack actually was all rewritten and, and totally takes advantage of um, uh, the new screen. Obviously, all the Apple apps do. Uh, Did you get the pen and the keyboard? The, uh, I ordered the pen, but it hasn't shipped yet. Mm. And I wasn't sure about the keyboard, but maybe I'll get one of those too. I don't know. But at which point, this really kind of re- almost replaces my MacBook Pro, you know? Yeah, that'll except, be interesting. Yeah, except I use my MacBook Pro to take to client sites to do development.
0: Well, I so. know that FileMaker's pushing the whole iPad angle pretty hard uh, in terms of don't they? They've got a thing going on right now, which is iPad uh, design thing or something.
1: Yeah, um, they
0: do. Is that, I? It's a rumor I heard. I have no idea. Is that a, I'm, something I'm, I'm not
1: supposed to mention or? Well, there was. There's a couple. They've actually got several different iPad things going on. Um, there 's a contest on their website for an iPad design that they 'll give you an ipad pro there 's that
0: well see i went to the I went to the web, uh, let me go to the website and there's it's, like an, yeah the
1: Apple store I thing saw I saw a bunch of
0: designs on their website, and i don 't know what that was for and i 'd heard somebody else saying oh yeah they 're doing some iPad design thing i, I don 't know yeah uh, okay it says celebrating thirty years thirty years of amazing uh, Solutions that transform businesses, see examples. Oh, okay. So if you haven't gone to the FileMaker website, they just have a bunch of stuff. I thought this was all I well, a lot of them are iPads designs.
1: Yeah, definitely. Showcase of designs. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of other things that are either about to launch or just launched that are that are iPad related. So definitely watch the space of FileMaker. And yeah, I think that like you, I think I've heard rumors and not really sure exactly what's going to happen, so we should wait until we talk about that.
0: Well, ever since they did ever since they released for Go, which I think is their saving grace for staying viable, they you know are focusing on a lot of iPad stuff. So
1: Yep. And the iPad growth has been Slowed over the last few years, couple year or two anyway. So we'll see what the iPad Pro does. I mean, it's um, it's a pretty expensive device. It's a grand for the one that does um, uh, the high end model that has a cellular modem built in. Well, I'd be interested to know
0: what the ratio of uh, you know look of all of the filemaker development companies, which how much are they doing that's actually mobile focused versus still desktop focused? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And I, I'd really like to know that, too. Yeah, you know, how much, I mean, I could talk about it for my company, which is still really overwhelmingly desktop focused. And I think that's, to a large degree, it's because much of our work is in public health and government agencies who are pretty slow to change and adopt new technology. They just upgraded from Windows XP to Windows 8.1. Um, <laughs> I know, I laugh, go ahead. <laughs> but now at least they're all running FileMaker 14, which is great.
0: Oh gosh that would be the, that would be my nightmare somebody who's still working on filemaker eleven
1: yeah well they that were happens. running thirteen they they couldn't run fourteen because 14 does doesn't run under xp mm. um, yeah
0: so cool well speaking of uh of fourteen and stuff that came out when uh, thirteen came out I'm gonna shoot you a file check this out it's in your messages app it'll come up there just open that sucker up so I was uh, I was speaking at the FM Disk, I think. Uh, it's a user group meeting here in LA, which is about two hours away from me, so it's a little bit of a trek to get all the way out there. Oh yeah, uh, I saw that you
1: were at that event.
0: Yeah, Richard Carlton was there, and um, he's in San Jose, and he actually uh, goes to corporate. He goes to FMI's headquarters, and he talks with the engineers, and I guess has a really nice, tight, close relationship with the people there at the Wedge, and so basically, I was showing him something that I sort of thought was common knowledge. So this file that you have, go ahead and go into uh, layout mode on the file. You got that open? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then uh, read me what you ha- see on the side of that uh, on the, in the hidden area, uh, you know, the portion of the non-visible layout. What is it oh, that you see? Oh, yeah, you see? have
1: a comment code, and it says layout variable equals hello world.
0: So basically, this is, what is that? That's a block of text, right?
1: Block of text, yeah.
0: Okay, and what, in, what is that in there, in that block of text?
1: Um, a let function.
0: It's a let function. That so defines it defines a variable. It's valid FileMaker code. So what it, is yeah. the variable global or local?
1: It's a local variable, single dollar.
0: All right, so now go to the layout and put in a merge variable of that variable. So basically you're, you know, you're right. double opening, uh, yep. greater than, less than.
1: I do this all the time.
0: So did you know about this?
1: Um, that it actually executes.
0: Yeah, it actually renders. There's a trick. Um, There's a trick to
1: it, but look at that. It did. Hello world. <laughs> Is that not the, the coolest thing? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I actually I use that let function uh, to to define a variable a lot. It's actually also where a security hole can come in with variables because users can if you use a let fun- if you use a variable. To set security, so for example, like a user can't see a particular field unless the variable, unless dollar dollar security allow equals one. If a user can um, access any layout and put a, or anywhere in the solution, put a LET function in. Even go to like run FileMaker Advanced and go to Data Viewer. Oh sure. And then write a LET function in, in the uh, Data Viewer under my or under Watch. Right. They could then. Uh, change that variable and then all of a sudden have access to data, which is why you should never use.
0: Well, of course, you never use use local or global variables for the purpose of anything security related. If it deals with your navigation or whatever, the authoritative control for what fields can be seen and where users can go is all within the managed security dialogue. If you're doing it with variables and hide calcs, you're doing something wrong in file. No,
1: that's not what I was saying. I'm saying in the managed security dialogue, when you when you look at a field, mm. uh, in other words, proper filemaker security with managed security, and you have field um, controls that say you can only see this invoice if the uh, if the status of the the field value for the invoice status is. Um, complete or printed or whatever right. and once it's printed you can no longer edit it for example right but if you had you could so you could either look at a field you could look at a global field or you could look at a, a global variable so you can in your security model if you do it properly you can do a test against a field on the layout or in the table against a global field or against a uh, global variable. And it might be convenient and tempting to use a global variable. Just be aware that there's a security hole to do that.
0: Yes. If, if anybody can discover any type of situation about your uh, schema or your structure, then you've got security issues. So, for example, I, I like to hide a lot of things off to the side of my layouts, but I know that anybody who... Uh, knows anything about FileMaker can basically use get uh, all layout object names, one of the design functions, Mm -hmm. and look at what are all the layout objects on this layout. Then they can go get the get layout object attribute and look at the contents. So, I mean, FileMaker has a lot of different security issues if you have a copy of FileMaker Advanced. So, my Mm -hmm. solution to that is my startup screen basically looks for if the get application version contains the word advanced, close the file. If I'm going to deploy something, FileMaker Advanced is a developer tool, Mm -hmm. and I will block that off from the standpoint of deployment so that anybody else using Advanced can't get into my file, only standard FileMaker Pro. Mm. And that's usually through authentication. There's also some other really cool things that uh, I was working with Chris Hippolyte the other day. And I showed him this. A lot of the times developers will do things that are specific to their development environment. But they, you know, you'll put something on the screen because you're testing. And then when you deploy, you're going to take it off. And maybe it's a a container field that the user does have access to for the purpose of getting an image in there really quickly. As opposed to having to go through a workflow of hold up the iPad, take a picture, put the picture in the container, have file resize, put it down. No, you just want to test things really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I create a custom function called developer machines. And developer machines will have a return delimited list of get uh, get persistent ID values
1: of allowed machines. I love the get persistent ID. So I will a then lot.
0: use that as, a, as part of my hide calculation. If there's debugging information that I want to have on screen, what happens is then the only iPads, the only devices and machines that I want to allow to see those developer-specific elements can because the persistent ID matches. So that's another good trick if, uh, if you want to be able to leave developer stuff on layouts or accessibility. That persistent ID is absolutely awesome. In fact, I use that as a standard field now along with uh, get create uh, creation date, modification date, uh, and both the accounts for a modification account and get account. I'm always adding the persistent ID now because I just want to know what device created or modified this record and when yep. and how.
1: Hey, let's talk. So tell me more, because you said on this particular thing where you have some text off to the side of a layout and you have a let function which defines a variable. You said there's a trick to make that work. What is the trick?
0: Uh, the trick is look at the, um, when you select the the block of text, mm-hmm. the block of text is actually using the hide calculation.
1: Right, hide when. Mm-hmm.
0: And so here's what's cool is uh, the, the, the core of the calculation itself is just saying evaluate self. And so as long as you have file, valid FileMaker code within a text block, FileMaker will evaluate this. But I've wrapped around it an evaluation error, and then I'm converting that into a, a Boolean in terms of making it uh, valid or not. So what happens is, as long as it's valid code, this block of text would always hide. But the cool thing is, is because it's off to the side of the screen, it will evaluate anyway. This is uh, some FileMaker developers don't know that even though something is off to the side of the screen, whether it's a portal or whether it's a named object, mm-hmm. FileMaker can still access and will still process those things. So in this case, it is processing or its order of operations is I need to scan this layout first, find out how many objects there are, start with the lowest object in the layout stacking order. And then I need to run through all of the hide uh, calculations because I have to to determine Mm -hmm. what should I not show before I start to render the layout. After it does that, it then goes on to render, you know, do all of the rest of its renderings, uh, the data that it's pulled from the server. It's going to show in its fields. It's then going to apply its uh, conditional formatting.
1: So it actually renders a calculation. It doesn't render the graphics of the object off to the side, but it renders a calculation in the object. It runs the calculation, yeah. Right, right, right. But if, but if you put like a container object with a huge container off to the side, the layout loads quickly. It does not actually render or load the, the contents of the container. Is that correct?
0: Uh, that I don't know, but if I was an engineer, I would assume that. I would, I would assume that if it is not on the visible portion of the layout, I would not take the time to load that. Of course, FileMaker already does its own caching of uh, images in terms of creating the thumbnails and attempting to show you the lower resolution. hmm Um, But if it's off screen, I'm assuming they've already transferred the data from the time that you've gone to that layout in anticipation that when they want to render it, they don't want to have the layout feel like it's going slow. So I'm assuming they would have already pulled that data. But don't quote me on that. That's a specific I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, it's easy to test. You just put a huge um, container off to the side and see if the performance changes.
0: Yeah, I do know that they are they're holding on their they're holding off on their rendering for popovers and sliders and things like that, and also their their big change between thirteen and fourteen they did a lot of uh, overhauling of the display and the rendering surface for uh, Go fourteen. So Go fourteen in terms of iOS development has been vastly improved. The one thing that I have noticed is though, uh, for example, I had a solution. That had uh, I had I think something like seven different sets of repeating fields, and those repeating fields had like a hundred different repetitions. And on each of those repeating fields, I had conditional formatting that needed to apply to each and, and each and, and every uh, little. Um, what am I trying to say? The repeat. So mm-hmm. in thirteen, it worked pretty fine because of the way that they were rendering. In 14, it just got dog slow in terms of how all the computation that it had to do. It just started spinning a wheel, and so there was an obvious, obvious change, and so I have to revise the code of that solution, but they're definitely doing a lot to improve performance.
1: So what other things did you learn when doing design for the, um, for the iPad Pro? In terms of, like, uh, in terms of like how graphic objects work.
0: Um, well, it's just bigger. Everything's larger. You're, you're going to have larger text. You're going to make your buttons many times larger.
1: Um, on that one, you and I disagree. I mean, I not,
0: think- no, we're not talking about super large, but if you have something that is currently designed for 768 by 1024 and you now take it to an iPad Pro, you've got a lot of space to fill.
1: Yeah, what I mean is, if you make a button that's you know, uh, let's say I don't know, forty pixels high. What's the actual height that I use? That would be too small. I have a button that I use on a regular iPad screen, which is fifty-nine pixels high, points high, and on the iPad Pro, it looks perfectly right. It doesn't. So I think I think any given object on a on a regular iPad versus a Pro can be the same height and width. It's just that you have so much more space. So if you take a regular layout designed for a Mac and you open it in the iPad Pro, it looks teeny tiny. You can't. It's unusable. 12-point fonts, no. Got to be at least 18. <laughs> uh, Dude, I'm
0: surprised you didn't even clue into this whole local variable, this layout variable thing. How many times do you actually create a calculated field in order to show a count above a portal? Or to show counts of uh, you know, items that may be within a tab?
1: I don't do it that much.
0: Oh, well, then that would be why. Because <laughs> this yeah. completely obviates the need for all of those extraneous fields. This is a display-only variable that you can create in code on the layout, and <clears> you don't <throat> have to create, you know, there's it removes the need for some summary fields. It removes the need for lots of different things. Yes, That's definitely. What I've always wanted. It's like a true... <clears throat> You know, here, I just want to display some information on a screen. I don't want to actually create an aggregate field within my schema that's only used in order to show a count of how many items there are in a portal.
1: No, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, <laughs> the way that I choose to do it, though, because I don't like having code in multiple different places. So now you've actually got code for what draws on the layout off screen on the layout. But it stays with the layout. But it stays with the layout. And it's tied to the layout. And it's tied to the layout, and only that layout. Correct. I guess there's some good stuff about that. But what well, I prefer is I prefer totally to have it in the script. Stuff. I like it in the script layer, not in the layout layer. But the, the,
0: the script is disassociated from what the layout is displaying from a context standpoint. Mm-hmm, you're right about that. The, the, the layout is contextually tied to the table that it's tied to underneath or its alias. What are we doing? Yeah. It's table occurrence. <laughs>
1: hmm. Well, I'll have to think about this more. I, the implications of it, I think, is what you're really getting at. Because what I used to do, well, recently, <laughs> um, is an on, uh, on record load trigger, because I use those anyway on all detail layouts, because that's what I use for the recent record thing and to write history and to check logs and a lot of other things like that. Um, and then on that same script, if there's a portal that I want to add up, or if there's you know, line counts or some things like that that I want to do, I'll just set a global variable right there and then display the global variable on the layout.
0: Well, that works. I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with that method.
1: But you're right. It actually is putting it, you know, fundamentally what you're getting at, which is totally correct, is that having something like a count of the number of lines on a portal as a calculated field is dumb because you're putting it at the wrong layer. That is a layout widget, and it's only a layout widget. It's only on that layout. And it would, wouldn't need to be on any other layout like that. And so it should actually be able to be something that gets calculated at that layer of, of development.
0: Well, here's another big one. Uh, button bars. Button bars mm-hmm. have uh, their multiple different states. They've got their inactive and their active state. And so mm-hmm. the active state of a button bar, you typically want to render... What is the you know what what is this button bar which button should be active based on where I am let's mm-hmm. take for example, using a button bar for the purpose of a navigation well, the button bar object when you when you create that button bar object and you look at the HUD it 's got this little option, the setting for the active segment. the active segment you can choose from all of the canonical names that you've put into each of the button bars. So it starts off with three by default. Mm -hmm. If you select one of those three, that code is inherently fixed to that particular button bar. So let's say of your three buttons, one of them is customers, one of them is invoices, and another one is products. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as you select that active segment and you say, okay, for this button bar, the active segment is customers. So what happens now when you want to copy this button bar to another layout? You, you copy the button bar, you take it to another layout. Guess what? It's still sp- set specifically to the customers, even though you may be on a, a layout that is invoices. Right. So it's it's tightly coupled in that FileMaker is saying, here, choose what you want the, the button bar to be active, but the button bar, you know, it's not going to... Uh, we do copy and paste so much in FileMaker. But fortunately, down at the bottom of this specify segment you can actually specify a calculated value. So here what I do is I tell my layout, hey, layout, use this block of text, set a variable to tell the button bar what segment should be active. So that's what makes this cool. I can make a button bar now, I paste it on my customers, and the variable that's referenced or used says, hey, the active segment is customers. I copy that same button bar, go to another layout, Mm -hmm. because the block of text is on the invoices, this block of text now says, hey, button bar, the active segment is not customers, it is invoices. That's tricky. Because that block of text is directly associated to the layout, that button bar can be copied and pasted across my whole solution without worrying that something is going to break or... I mean, there's so much in FileMaker that you can do that requires so many clicks, so many dialogues, so many things that you want to try to man- minimize the workload of building your FileMaker solution as much as you can.
1: I have to say, I didn't even realize until you brought that whole thing up that the active segment thing has a little thing at the bottom that says specify where you can put code in to, yeah. to control it. I didn't even, didn't even realize that. I've just been clicking it because it shows you the specific segments right there. But
0: exactly. cool, man. Yeah, I, you, love, I love when I learn
1: little things like that.
0: Di- total dynamic <laughs> abstraction. And in fact, the one yep. thing that's sort of, it's funny, FileMaker has historically been this really easy to use tool that if you make changes, FileMaker continues to work. If you rename a table occurrence, no big deal. If you rename a layout, no big deal. What's funny is as FileMaker has been moving forward, they're continuing to add in places where code can be pretty fragile. So, for example, button bars, the way that you determine an active segment, if you do it by the calculation using the specify, is based on the object name. So, and in that case, you have to use a literal string to identify the object name. So, if you ever rename that object or rechange your code, it breaks. So, I mean, more and more FileMaker is becoming in a, a development environment that you really have to know all of the little specifics of what's going on in order to... You know, really make it do what it needs to do. Make it sing and dance, I guess.
1: Yep. So it's true.
0: But that's my little trick. I showed that to Richard Carlton. He's like, "What? No way!" And he went over <laughs> and he's he's going over and he says, "I'm showing the PMs, and I want to make sure that if I start to use this, that they're not going to take it out." And oh, so yeah. we had a we had a little discussion about why do why does a local variable persist and render on a layout. I mean, even if you resize the window or pull the window off screen and pull it back on screen, the variable is still there. So it's not part of the rendering code. They are actually persisting this variable, and it's presumed, based on some discussions I had with other people, that there's this uh, thing, or maybe it's imaginary, and we made it up, called stack level zero. That means before any local variable has been created within any script, because no mm-hmm. script has been run, FileMaker is still... From a layout rendering standpoint, sort of compelled to show these local variables, hmm. which is really pretty cool. I uh, like it. Yeah, I hope they. Uh, I definitely hope they keep it, or you know, make it an actual feature because it really reduces your field count for a lot of different things.
1: Oh, I've been, on the, I've been definitely on the path of reducing field count as much as possible and getting rid of all calculated fields as much as possible. Yep. Um, even ones that I used to use all the time. Well, there's, there's a couple that I still kind of really like. Like, for example, a, a full name field. That's a calculation of first and last. Yep. Just because it's kind of more convenient to search. And if you, if you get someone's name backwards, like, you know, um, someone who has two first names, you know, James Monroe, Is it Monroe James or James Monroe, you know? (laughs) Um, And so if someone makes a typo and they search the database for Monroe, and it's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't find it. Um, But if you have a, you know, of course you could use QuickFind that would get around that. Uh, Because it actually searches a concatenation of all the fields that are defined as part of QuickFind with no overhead of a calculated field, which is pretty great. Now, what's that again? So So if you have, let's say you have a contact system and you've got like first name, last name, phone number, address, city, state, zip on one layout. Right. And a bunch of other fields. But you define only those six or so fields as your quick find searchable fields. Right. And then you use the quick find function or you have a script that does a quick find against that data. Right. And you type in like James1234. It will search for the first name, last name, and address fields and all the other ones. And it will find. The record that actually has James with an address of one, two, three, four, Main Street. Oh wow. Without it actually without having a calculated field which equals first name and ampersand, last name, and you know, everything else.
0: So you think it's it's uh, searching all of the different variations? The possible it's it, it's like-
1: it's, it searches a join of the index is, is what it's doing, essentially. Hmm. I didn't it, know it know takes that. It, it like makes a meta index of the whole record of all of the fields you you decide. And searches them all together, which gives you a um, really good, very predictable result, and, uh, and um, very powerful. Because it's also great because you can control on the layout which fields are and are not quick find searchable. So here is a
0: question for you about quick find: Do you uh, specify on your fields using the the inspector which fields uh, apply to your quick find?
1: Absolutely.
0: Because see, oh, I, yes. do- I don't. I I turn off QuickFind on all fields and then I create a block of text on again on that uh, non-visible portion of the layout and I just insert every merge field that I want to make Quick Find searchable and because Quick Find will pick up a text block it gives me a singular location where I can manage which fields Quick Find will apply to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I can have you know first name last name and only those fields that are in, merged into that text block will uh, actually pick up QuickFind. Hmm. So that way I don't have the, uh, the potential for having fields scattered into my layout, yeah. especially if I have multiple tabs and sliders and things like that. You can add a new yep. field, and FileMaker automatically puts the QuickFind on. I'm always option dragging yeah, my but fields. Then, but, then
1: you're, um, but you're not getting the really nice visual cue when you're looking at your layout of which fields are and are not QuickFindable. True. when I'm in layout
0: mode, I just look to the side and I've got a block of text that says, oh, here's a list of the fields that QuickFind is uh, applying to.
1: I see that. I actually use QuickFind pretty sparingly, but there's times I I definitely like it. And I pretty much never use the one up in the top widget because um, the one that's actually in the uh, status area at the top in the toolbar can be modified by the user. The user can customize the toolbar and just get rid of it. Right, Or if they make the layout really narrow, it disappears. Um, and so it's really just not useful. So I just never rely on it.
0: What do you use? Because I came across this the other day in terms of triggers. I use the on-save trigger, the on-exit trigger on a global field that you're using to, like, I'm talking about, you know, firing off a script that runs mm-hmm. Quick find. I've used the on-save, I've used the on-exit and I've also used the on modify. I'm really not liking the, the slowdown that FileMaker does on the uh, on the object keystroke. I didn't I didn't mean the modify one. The yeah. on object keystroke, each time you type and it has to run that trigger, it's like it, it makes the typing slow, even on faster machines. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I only really use on save for triggering searches. Because if you click in something and click out and you didn't actually change it, in Google, if you do that, it doesn't redo the search it only does it if you actually type something.
0: Oh, see, I always uh, that always annoyed me. I always wanted it to like if I went in and let's say I modified my found set by omitting some records after my search. If I wanted to bring that back up, I always like being able to click into the field and just hit enter again, but it doesn't fire unless yeah, the field is
1: This is true. Actually, in Google, if you click into it and it hits enter, then it actually does retrigger your search even if you don't type anything new. Uh. Um, so yeah, there's there's of course they have, you know, a <laughs> a little bit bigger budget to <laughs> inspect what users actually do.
0: Well, that's good. I'm, but
1: but on, on save track. comes closest to the expected behavior. Yeah, I and agree. And with the, the least downside. Yeah, the keystroke ones I just don't really use. It's kind of nice. Uh, if you if 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 FileMaker was vastly faster, like a hundred times faster, then I probably would use that more. But I, I always try to build things for scale. If I'm working with a data set of a thousand records. Um, I always assume that customers are going to be working with vastly larger data sets, or oh, yeah. you know, other systems where it's one hundred thousand, or four hundred thousand, or four million, or something like that. Hmm. Um, I downloaded the newer set of Google uh, n-gram data for single word n-grams, and it's I think one point eight billion records. Uh, it's every word that's ever appeared in print in every book, or at least the top I don't know million or so books. Um, for the last several hundred years that also appends to the word what part of speech it is. So in other words, if a given word could be a verb or a noun or an adjective, it tells you uh, um, the word and then un- underscore and then the part of speech. So you can get that. And, and it has one record for every word for every year and then the number of, the, uh, number of times it appeared in print that year.
0: Oh, jeez. You, you are crazy. The amount of time you, like, that data set that you created, something like five billion records or something, you let it yeah. run for, like, three months or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And that conversation you years had ago. with that other, uh, those other two guys that they were talking about, massive, massive
1: data sets. Oh, yeah, the one with all the huge public, or not public, but the stock, raw stock trade data. I have never yeah. dealt with data Billions sets of that large. Yeah, I have several, well... In, in actual use, I think they probably the biggest things that my customers use that are kind of routinely there are like logs, which is maybe 10 million or so records. Wow. Um, Pretty cool. Yeah. But I still, I don't know, I'm just kind of fascinated by that uh, large sets of data. And I'm thrilled that FileMaker deals with it as well as it does. It's, we got to wrap this up, buddy. Yep.
0: It's a rapid uh, environment, so it's awesome.
1: Are you going to put music on now?
0: Uh, I can. Push, are you push wanting the music? Button?
1: Push, push the button oh yeah
0: <laughs> all right
1: smooth jazz it's, to do it's Radio the one books. that i
0: have loaded in the in my little uh whatever
1: thanks for I, listening to could, matt and matt
0: i could give you an arcade <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's different all right well always good to talk to you man
0: always good talking to you until next time buddy
1: all right have a good one
0: all right see ya bye